All right, I guess we'll get started. This will be new for me because I'm a wanderer, and now I'm tied down. So um, I will probably use my hands a whole lot more because my nervousness kicks in. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Adrian. I am the director of junior high, 7th and 8th grade. Um, I work for the church. I'm on staff here. Um, Chris had asked me to speak to you guys this morning. Um, he is in Maine. If you haven't seen him yet, you will see him next. But um, he wanted me to reassure you that he will be here for the most part, barring any serious thing that none of us could account for. But yes, his plan is to be here uh, for the rest of the series and to teach through to you guys, um, as well as for the mine. So today, I guess we're going to jump into the life of Joseph and the significance and importance behind that. Um, before we get started, though, I, um, I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for uh, just your word. God, we thank you that we can dig in and explore and search and learn just from all that is written in Scripture. So, God, I pray as we dig in today that you open up our minds and our hearts and, and that the message that you want through Joseph's life come through to us. And, and Father, that we just get to know you more and more with each day and, and each word that we read from, from Scripture. So, God, I love you and I thank you for this time. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so watching Chris's video from last week, I am not Chris. I'm sorry. I speak mostly to junior high students, which means I usually have a lot of weird stories which don't apply here. Um, Chris went into a lot of the history, a lot of uh, the really cool parts that in church we tend to not really look at, we don't forget, but it's not really part of what we teach and what we do. So as we dig into the story of Joseph today, and as I was doing my research last night and really looking through it, and my wife reminded me, she's like, you know the story, you teach it all the time. And I do. I teach it quite often to my students because how incredible a story Joseph's life is. But as I was doing my research and really digging into his life and because of his life and because of how his life was lived, the consequences or let's just say so much that happened after his life was truly attributed to him and how he lived and where he lived and why he lived. So we're going to dig into that. Um, Joseph's story is also a fun one for me because I really like to dig into the different aspects of when he was young and the processes that he went through. Um, basically, Joseph goes from favorite son to slave to prisoner to national leader to ultimately saving and protecting the lineage to which Christ comes from. Because if we look at the story and we look at all the elements within that, it is so powerful to see that while Christ, his lineage, does not come directly from Joseph, still because of Joseph and because of his life, that lineage is possible. That every step after that, we get to see God's work in it. And to me, it was just amazing as I was reading through this. So we're going to start off in Genesis 37. Um, right over at the beginning where we get right into the story, the nitty-gritty of it, where we see that Joseph is son number 11 of 12. And if you know, as you guys have been studying through this, 11 of 12 in birthright really isn't much. 11 of 12 is like, oh yeah, I got 10, 11 others, 
But within the family, the top position, as you see through Isaac, through Jacob, through Esau, through all the different elements within this, child number 11 usually is not uh, very significant, does not have a lot to do. What's even really cool within that is we go further down, you see within David, and David's life as well, David wasn't son number one. But yet what was incredible what was what came out of David's life later on. So very similar here with Joseph. Joseph is 11 of 12, but... He is the favorite. He is the favorite son. Joseph has a younger brother named Benjamin. He's a little bit younger. So Joseph and Benjamin have the same mother. Very close together. Those two are directly tied to each other all the time. Joseph is very protective of his younger brother. But Joseph is the favorite. So as we were reading through Genesis 37, you start to see right off the bat the favoritism that's played to him. You start off with a coat of many colors, and we sit back and we think about it, and you're like, a coat of many colors. The significance behind the coat of many colors was this separated him distinctly, visually, from his brothers. So you could see Joseph coming from miles and miles away. So imagine being, you know, one through ten above him, and you see Joseph coming all the time, and you see something that should have been yours, something that should have been given to you, the same treatment, attention, whatever it was that was paid to you, but not paid to you. So you start to get the resentment that builds between his brothers and him. You start to see this, this why Joseph, why him. And then to make matters worse, as if being the second youngest brother wasn't bad enough, Joseph has these dreams. Not one, but two dreams, in which he pretty much tells his brothers, yeah, it's all about me. And you may not pick up on this yet, but I've had not one but two dreams that say, it's all about me. And let me tell you these two dreams. So we're going to jump in right there uh, with the two dreams. And I'm actually going to use my Bible in here since I have to go with one hand. It's much easier. So Genesis 37 in his dreams. We're going to start um, with verse 3 because I want to go back, and I really like how it says in verse 3. It says this. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they all hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. Then suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Verse 9 goes on and says this. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said. I love this in both verses, okay? As a younger brother, I have an older brother. Had I ever walked into his room and, and started every conversation with, Listen, listen. I would have gotten nowhere with my brother. But he does this twice to his brothers. So there's this air of Joseph within his family where he's like, no, 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 no. I have to remind you it's about me. So listen to my second dream. So he says this. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time, love this one, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him. And said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. All right, so you get the moment here. 
brother number 11 of 12 is pretty much telling his entire family, not just his brothers now, but he's gone even to the next level. And he says, okay, mom, dad, everybody, it's all about me. Because these two dreams I had, first all my brothers will bow down to me. They will look up to me. And then the sun, the moon, and all the stars will do the same. So the animosity that's building in this family is very, very important to the story and to the latter part of Joseph's life and the significance in there. Because as we talked about, significance doesn't come from him being the firstborn, which typically is where it comes from. Significance in Joseph's life comes much later, and it's really neat how God works within his life. So you get the moment his brothers cannot stand him. Not only can they not stand him, but they can see him everywhere, okay? The coat of many colors makes it very simple to see the object of your hatred as it's coming towards you. So this anger just builds and builds. And what's so important about this is that they get to a point where they're just done. After dream number two, they're like, no, okay? We have to silence him. We have to end this. We're ending it today. So Joseph is sent off. The next part of the story, he's sent off to check on his brothers, while I was doing my research and reading through this, I found from time to time you would read in the passages where Joseph was sent out to check on his brothers to see how they're doing. Well, to Joseph, this is just another day. I'm going out to check on my family to see what's going on. He's getting out there. They see him far off in the distance, and they come up with this plan. As all good siblings come up with this plan. You, if you have children, you know this. Because you've seen this in your children, the plan that starts to build and, and then gets fuel from everybody else in the room, and then it becomes this really, really good idea, but there's always one child that says, no, 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 I don't think we should do this, but I'm not going to scream too loudly if we do. That starts to build as he's in the distance, and his brothers literally go straight to the point of kill him. All we want to do is kill him. We have so much hatred and animosity towards Joseph, we do not want him around, regardless of the fact that he's the favorite. They want him gone. So they come up with this plan. They're like, let's kill him. One brother says, no, Reuben is the only brother who says, we can't kill him. We can't do this to father. We know how much he's, he's loved by dad. We won't do this. I'll tell you what, we'll throw him in a hole and we'll figure out what to do. In the back of his mind, he's got this plan. He's going to come rescue his brother. He's going to return him home, tell mom and dad, maybe elevate status a little bit, you know, come slightly under favorite brother. However, he was trying to do this. He had a good motive in mind. So Joseph is in a hole, has no idea what to do. They kill an animal, put the blood all over his coat, and send the coat home to dad, tell dad he's been killed. Okay? Completely destroys dad. Dad's favorite child, dad's only son, is gone. And he thinks, it, it, what's amazing in the passage as you read through this, when they go and tell the brother, or when they go and tell, um, is the response of Jacob in that moment. How Jacob deals with this loss and, and deals with this, and it just feeds into this. And it's uh, same chapter 37, but in verse 34. It says this, Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Even in what he thought was his son's death, he goes to the rest of his children and says, 
I will mourn for this child until I meet him again. Basically saying to, his, to every one of his children, I will never, ever, ever get over this. Do you understand? My favorite is gone. The rest of you are not as important as this child was to me. Very, very strong in, in how he conveys that to, to everybody else. Next part of the story, we know that Joseph gets sold. He is sold to Potiphar. Uh, first, he's sold to a different group, and then they sell him to Potiphar, and he's basically made into a slave and taken into Egypt. Um, at the time, this was probably very significant because Joseph went from that elevated status of being favorite son, um, great family, lots of, of siblings, connections. He had people all around him, support, all of that, completely stripped away everything that he knew, everything that he had, and now he's reduced to a slave, Okay. Slave status is, was horrible back. I mean, I don't ever know of a time when slave status actually was good. So I'm going to be very clear about that. But keep in mind, this slave status within Joseph, he was reduced to nothing less than nothing and put to work. But what is amazing within the story of Joseph is his response. And we're going to jump ahead to, to chapter um, 39, and we're going to talk about the first time Joseph has an opportunity to really change who he is and change what he could do in a, in a situation. But what I find really cool about this is that Joseph continues to honor and serve God regardless. So he's a slave. He has no status within his new community where he's at. He's working for Potiphar. But very quickly, because of who God has made Joseph to be, because of who he's designed him and what he's, is inside of him, Joseph rises quickly in Potiphar's house. He becomes the main person, so much so that it states in Scripture that the only thing Potiphar cared about or worried about was eating. As a head of a household, and back then as a head of a household, you had a lot of things that you were responsible for, you delegated, you gave those out. This just speaks volumes to Joseph and his ability to accept where he is at to excel where he is at and truly, truly trust God. In that, he just takes on the role and the position so much so that the head of this household, Potiphar, just has to worry about eating. That's his only thing that he worries about. Um, as we continue to go through that, uh, what I find really neat is, is throughout Joseph's story is the reminder that the Lord is with him. And regardless of his situation or where he's at, the Lord is with him, and Joseph's response is based on that. So Joseph has elevated himself. He's now in charge of Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife comes. We all know this part of the story. If you don't, you can read through it in, in, verse, or in chapter 39. What's very interesting about this part of the story is that his, his status has changed a little bit. He has a little bit of respect. He is trusted, and an opportunity comes where he can choose what he wants to do. Now, Joseph has nothing. He is a slave. He's in another country. As far as he knows, he will never see his family again. He's had the dreams, but in the back of his mind, he doesn't know. He trusts God. He believes in why he's there. But at this point, it would be very easy for Joseph just to put aside everything he's known, everything he's grown up with, and just completely submit and give in to whatever comes his way. 
But what is incredible about this part of the story is that knowing the consequence, knowing that he's a slave and knowing his position, he still chooses to trust God. He chooses, and not only this is the first example of how often we're reminded later in in the New Testament when, when Paul talks about fleeing from sexual immorality, Here's your first, one of the greatest flea stories you'll ever see. The man literally leaves his clothes and runs away from Potiphar's wife. Well, as you know, from that part of the story, it changes Joseph's destiny. It changes what and how he's seen. And all of a sudden, he's reduced again, and now he becomes a prisoner because he's violated the trust. Potiphar's wife tells the story completely different than how it actually happens. Joseph doesn't defend himself, doesn't... A slave doesn't have the choice to, and he's sent to prison. So again, he goes from favorite son to slave to now not even freedom. There was limited freedom within being a slave. He still could do different things, but now he is literally locked in a prison for something he didn't do. What does he do? The same thing Joseph always does. God is with him. He trusts God. And he rises within his position in the prison as well. So not only do we see Joseph continue to get slapped down, continue to get knocked down, to get handed problem after problem after problem, we also see how he responds to each one of them. We see that regardless of what he could do or maybe what normal person in that situation would do, he chooses to go above and beyond and to excel through his circumstance. Again, we're not talking about the number one or number two son. We're not talking about somebody who by birthright should be pushing, should be fighting, and should be doing all this. We have 11 of 12 choosing to do something great. So in prison, he's in prison. He's elevated his status again. The warden trusts him. He has responsibilities assigned with that. Um, Again, being in prison, there really isn't much freedom or anything that you have. But Joseph's been put into a place again because he trusts God to elevate his status and to have influence on people around him. One key point that keeps showing up through this entire story of Joseph, and and I love this, is Joseph is actually witnessing through his life, through his actions, to people who have never heard of or been exposed to God. You get that through his life, he is the example of Christ to Potiphar. He is the example of Christ to the warden. He's the example of God and forgiveness and mercy and understanding and knowing his place and respect and just so many different things that he could choose not to, but he chooses to be the example of God to people around him. And through that response, God continues to honor Joseph, continues to protect Joseph and moves him through the different paces of what he needs. Because if, if you look at the story up to this point, we need to understand that Joseph, for the end of this story to happen as God intended it to happen, God moves Joseph through all these pieces. He removes him from being favorite son to being slave, moves him from being slave to being prisoner, moves him from being prisoner to being the next step, which is pharaoh's right hand man but throughout the entire process god is moving him closer and closer to where he needs him to be what i find absolutely amazing is joseph's response through all of it not once does he choose not to honor god in every situation so he's in jail 
um, he has two dreams that he interprets for two different prisoners, both who had been in the good graces of Pharaoh before. The first one uh, is for the cupbearer, in which the dream that he uh, explains for the cupbearer is that the cupbearer within three days would be reinstated to his position and be put back where he was. Well, the baker loves this story. He's like, oh, okay, if that dream went that way, then I'm sure my dream, it's got to be good too. Baker tells him his dream. Joseph says, no, I'm sorry. Yours is actually not good at all. In three days, you will actually die. You will die in a horrific way, and your body will be put on display. Again, another opportunity for Joseph to say whatever he wants to in this situation, to take these dreams, to interpret them however he wants to do this. But instead, Joseph, because he trusts God, so filled with God and, and focused on God, that he knows exactly what to say and is, is comfortable telling this other man, in three days you're going to die. You're in prison, and you're telling somebody in three days you're going to die. That's not the best news you want to tell a prisoner. I don't know. I'm just saying that's probably not something he wants to hear. Because it just got worse than prison. Three days later, sure enough, they're brought before Pharaoh, the, the cupbearer and the baker. And just as Joseph had told them with their dreams, um, happened. The cupbearer was reinstated. And Joseph, uh, the baker was put to death. Before um, these two gentlemen are reinstated and brought back, or not, but before they're brought back to Pharaoh, Joseph asks the cupbearer to remember him. He asks him very simply, all I ask is that when you are back with Pharaoh, remember what I have told you. Remember why I am here, and I'm not here because I've done anything wrong, but just remember me. What I find amazing is that it doesn't happen right away. There's still a time span where the cupbearer, it says in scripture, the cupbearer forgets. He's just been told that in three days you'll be restored, your life will be given back to you, all I ask is that you remember me. He doesn't, and so Joseph spends the next couple of years in prison waiting, patiently waiting, continuing to serve God. How often do we, in our own lives, go through a struggle, go through something that we're trying to, to sort through or trying to figure out? And we get that solution, and we're like, oh, I see my way out. And then we expect it to happen right there. Our time frame, our timing, we a lot of times we'll insert that. And what I find just amazing through Joseph's story is nowhere in here do you see Joseph asserting a time frame or expectation or anything else. He is fully just trusting God and serving him. A few more years in prison, the cupbearer's like, oh, ding, light bulb moment. Hey, Pharaoh, you're having a dream. I got this guy. He was right about mine. He probably will be right about yours. So they bring Joseph before Pharaoh. And we'll wait. And we're waiting. So this is on the audio. I can say anything right now. No, I'm kidding. I didn't say anything. Um, so he's brought before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream about the calves, the cows, the seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows and how the seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows. I'm sorry, but anybody who has that dream, I, yeah, I would be asking a lot more questions than just what is this dream about? Why am I having this dream? But 
Joseph sits in front of Pharaoh and he very clearly explains through God in him what this dream means. And what's amazing is here again, you see something happen in Joseph's life that he's in no control of, but it's another very significant piece within Joseph's story which leads to eventually the birth line for Christ. And we'll get there in a minute. So Joseph is now Pharaoh's right-hand man. He is in the biggest position that he could be in. He has control over everything. All that he has told him has come true. Finally, the day comes. Finally, 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 the one that he's been waiting for. could not wait to get his hands on. The seven years of famine come. And what's amazing, we put this part of it in there. And you think when you get this moment, you're like, you know Joseph was waiting for this. He, you know that he figured in the back of his mind, some way, somehow, my brothers are going to have to come ask me for some food. Because this famine is going to be huge. It's going to affect everyone. And I will have an opportunity to exact revenge or do whatever it is that, that we think would happen. But in this moment, his brothers and his family get to a point of starvation. They need food. And they go and they hear that Egypt has plenty of food. There's somebody in control who's been very wise and, and managed it very well. And they go to him. And in this part of the story, um, what's very interesting is, is Joseph's response. Okay, he is the 11th of 12th brother, so there is some messing around with his older brothers that goes on. Okay, I, I, being honest, would probably mess with my older brothers too if they did this to me, and I saw them again. But we have a window and an opportunity in which Joseph could destroy his entire family. He could take out so much revenge on his brothers for what they did to him, but he chooses not to. Instead, he chooses to take this opportunity to, to reinsert, to put his family back together rather than just destroying them. Because he had a great life in Egypt. He had power. He had position. He had a wife. He had children. He had everything that he could possibly need. He had no need for his family at that point other than the fact that he, he loved his younger brother. He missed his father. Wasn't so sure about his older brother's. But you get the moment here, he was not in need of a family. He was not in need of siblings, of what they could do for each other, the community, different things like that. He'd found it somewhere else. So when his brothers return, and his first encounter with his brothers, um, it's incredible. So we're going to read through that a little bit. Um, and we're in ver uh, chapter 42. So when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? He continued, I'd heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. It's a dire moment at this point. The famine is so bad. This family is looking at the potential of not living much longer. The family starting to die off. Jacob is, is at a point where he's like, we need to do something about this. The ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, who now became son number two that was the new favorite son number one. So again, the two boys from the same mother, Benjamin had now kind of taken that place within his father's life. So he was very protective of Benjamin, very protective, did not want to lose this son as well. Um, so Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan as well. 
Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who had sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dream about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who live in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how, I, how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them into custody for three days. All right, so here's the other, the next moment in the story. Joseph's brothers come to him. First dream comes true. He sees this. His brothers are bowing before him. They're coming to ask him for food. And he takes the moment to, to truly check where their heart is at, to see where they are. He starts to ask him questions. He starts to mess with them a little bit. And he's like, you guys are spies. You're here to find out where you can attack us, what you can do. And they're like, no, 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 we just want food. And he, and he asks them again and again. And you get from this part of the story, Joseph fully knows it's his brothers. He fully knows that they've come and they desperately need his help. Again, another moment where somebody not truly dialed into the heart of God, not truly looking to serve him, and do something greater would take this moment and there are so many different options and choices that he had that he could do with his brothers. He could have punished them. He could have jailed them for a longer time. He could have told them no to the food. There are just so many things he could have done. Being a good brother, he messes with them a little bit as all brothers do because it's, I think it's in our DNA somewhere. But it, instead, he just starts to ask him questions fully knowing that he's gonna, he is going to help them. So he puts them in prison. On the third day, he has them come out. Um, and it goes on to say this. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. Okay. Get this moment right here, you guys. Do this and you will live, for I fear God. He's in Egypt. They're in Egypt. They're asking for grain. They're asking f for help from a country that doesn't know their God, doesn't serve their God. And what does this person that they assume is an Egyptian, that they do not recognize, they don't know him at all, what does he say to them? He says, for I fear God. And his brothers miss that moment. They miss this, this chance to see him as a different person. And I think it's, it's really cool how he continues to remind them of who he is, who he serves, and, and what he's all about. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go back and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. 
We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That is why distress has come on us. Reuben replied, did I not tell you that, I'm sorry, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away and began to weep, but then he came back and spoke again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Again, we just continue to see Joseph. We continue to see his story unravel, not only in his life, but in the lives of his brothers. So they get this moment where they're like, okay, we may have just messed up again. Now we have to go back to our father with one less brother again and explain to him how we lost another brother to somebody in Egypt, which means we might have to backtrack and tell him the whole story about what we did to Joseph. And we might have to fess up in this moment to what really happened because if you, if you look at almost the absurdity within the lie, okay? They went to their father. They said their Joseph was killed by a wild animal. Look at his coat. It's covered in blood. We don't know. Oh, it was horrible. We didn't know what to do. Oh, my goodness. It wasn't our fault. To now, you have to go back to your father and say, um, we left one behind because somebody was asking us about the death of our brother. Any father would, at that moment, sit there and look at his sons and say, why would he care that my, one of my sons, my favorite son, was killed by a wild animal? Um, care to explain? So you get the moment of fear. Just abs- the, the brothers are scrambling. They don't know what to do. They're stuck. And how often in, in, in life when, and I tell this to my children, and I tell this to my students time and time and time and time again, there is no such thing as a small lie or something that we can get caught up in. There isn't. Eventually it all comes to light. Eventually you have to backtrack and you have to figure this out. This was a whopper of a lie that they told their father that would have direct effect on them, on their children, on their household. This was not something that would be taken lightly. So there, you get the moment. This is, this is big. So they turn away and they leave. And Joseph, being Joseph, and I, I love this part about him again, fills their, their sacks with food, gives them grain and stuff to go home, puts their money back in their bags, and sends them on their way. They get home. They get halfway home. They're, they're stopping for the night, and they open their bags. One of them opens their bags, and they find the money in there. So we'll pick it up there. So Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, he, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and he gave them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened the sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw the silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers, here in my sack. Their hearts sank as they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us. This is twice now they've actually said that. This is twice where they've actually said that God is punishing them for their behavior, for something that they did to their brother. Back to scripture. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened. They said, the man who is Lord over the land and spoke harshly to us 
and, and treated us though we were spying on his land. But we said to him, we were honest men, and we are not spies. We are the twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. The man, his lord over the land, said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, and take food for your starving households, and go. But bring back your youngest brother to me, so that I will know you are not spies and honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks... There in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father, Jacob, said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead. He is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring gray excuse me, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. So the brothers have an opportunity here to tell dad what happened. They choose again not to. All their money's returned. They really don't understand what's going on. But they still don't do what Joseph asked them to do right away. What I think is, is great about the story, if you continue to read through this, they go through all their supplies. So they leave Simeon in jail in Egypt. They go through their supplies. When they start to run out again, they're like, oh, time to go back. Um, we probably should go back and get our brother and maybe do what he asked us to do. So when we go back a second time, we don't lose another brother and just keep this process going on and keep losing brothers. So they go back to Jacob and, and they lay this out for him. And they're like, we have to take Benjamin. We have to, we have to do this. We have to prove that we're not spies. We have to prove that we're honest men. And the whole time, Joseph is back home waiting for them to come back, waiting to see where their heart is at, to see where their head is at, to see basically if they've treated their younger brother, Benjamin, the way that they've treated him, to hear about their father, just to find out what's going on. He has no intention not to feed them, not to help them, not to do anything for them. He just truly wants to see where his brothers are at. That's, that's his goal in this. Um, they run out of food. They get to a point they don't have a choice. They've got to go back. They are in dire need, about to completely lose the everything. I mean, they have nothing, death, starvation, almost to the point of everything being gone. They decide to go back. This time, they convince Dad, we have to take Benjamin. He has to go with us. We're taking him. So they took him back, and when they get there, what I think is, is incredible about is the response for Joseph when he gets there. Um, he sees what the brothers did, Excuse me, and his response to them. So we're going to jump in here. We're in Genesis 43, and we're going to start in verse 15. A um, little bit more backstory behind this. Um, to ease the transition a little bit, to get one son out of prison and to make sure that all of his kids come home, um, he sends them with gifts. He sends them with things that he they can use uh, to entice this leader to make this leader feel more comfortable that they are who they say they are. They're not trying to, to take advantage. So Genesis forty three fifteen it says this. So the men took the gifts 
and double the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They're taking the silver, the initial purchase uh, money back with them to give back to Joseph as well. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these in, men into my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and he took the men into Joseph's house. But the men were frightened, and they were taken to his house. They thought, We are brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks from the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. Does that sound like the uh, mind trail of a guilty person struggling with something a little bit heavier than just having everything taken away? Um, Love that passage there because the only thing they keep thinking of is that this man wants to harm them. Um, But yet when they were in a position to not harm their brother, that was nowhere in in their minds. Um, They went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord. We came down here the first time to buy food, but the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the amount of his sack. So we have brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took them in into Joseph's house and gave them water to wash their feet and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented him to him the gifts that they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him on the ground. He asked them how they were, excuse me, how they were, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked about, he saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. He asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out, of, hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. After he washed his face, he came out, controlling himself, and said, Serve the food. They served them food by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them, or ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in order of ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When the portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted. And drank freely with him. From Genesis 44. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of the house. Fill each man's sack with as much food as he could carry. And put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack. Along with the silver for his grain. And he did, and he did as Joseph said. All right, so they've eaten together. They just saw their youngest brother get like five times the food that they all got. Joseph refers to their God, the God of their people, um, is, is very clear about how he is treating them with an expectation in there. Um, he sends them off again because he has to, again, do this one more time, puts a cup in their in Benjamin's bag, the youngest brother, the, the now the most vital brother, to the father, again, now that Joseph is gone, knowing that, or 
waiting to see how his brothers respond to this. Um, as we go on through the story, I think this is another crucial part because, again, throughout this entire process, as Joseph is doing this and, and building the story, at any point in time, he could have come right out and said, I'm Joseph, this is who I am, do you not recognize me, I'm taking care of you, remember my dreams when I said listen twice and that you guys would be doing this. Um, at no time does he do this to his brothers. He doesn't take this opportunity to throw it in their faces that he is successful and powerful and, and has everything he needs and they're in need and need him and all of these things. He doesn't do that. Um, so sends the brothers out. And we'll pick back up here in verse 6 and, I, and this another favorite part of the story. When he caught up with them, um, hold on, we'll backtrack for a second, I'm sorry. Back to verse 3. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after these men at once. When you catch up to them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? Um, this is the wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated the words to them, but they said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal the silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become the Lord's slaves." All right, the brothers are very, very confident in this in this moment, okay? They're so sure, okay, to backtrack a little bit more, they understand that they have to bring Benjamin back. There is no gray area in this. There is no, yeah, you could trade him for another one or maybe come back with most of everybody. No, this is a hard fast. This one comes home. Or you all are in big trouble, but this one comes home. So they're sure, they're doing everything right, they leave the city, the servant comes to them and says, why have you done this? They're adamant. We have not done anything, we have not taken anything, search our bags, and if this is true, you can have whoever took it, and the rest of us will be slaves. Well, surprise, surprise, guess where they find it? Very well then, he said, let it be as you say, whoever is found to have it will become my slave, and the rest of you will be free from blame. They think they're in the clear. They're good. They've done nothing wrong. They're ready to go. Each of them quickly lowered their sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. I love this moment here. I mean, come on. Could you build a little bit more anticipation? It's like that movie scene where you know it's coming. You know it's coming. So the steward is working his way down the line. He's probably trying not to laugh the whole time because he knows what's coming. He knows exactly where it is. But he's going through each brother's bag giving them a sense of peace. Open the bag. See, I told you it's not in here. Next one, open the bag. It's not in here. Um, and then they get to the end. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. The one thing that their father asked them to do, the one thing to return with Benjamin, now they couldn't do. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves on the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the ones who were found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. 
Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. There's no way they want this deal. There is no way they want this deal. Okay? Benjamin stays. The rest of you go. No, no, no. They do not want this deal. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of the mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring, me, bring him down so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, this, cannot, this boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves his father, if he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back, buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if your youngest brother goes with us, we will go. We cannot see the man's face unless the youngest brother goes is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me, and harm comes to him too, you will bring gray upon my head, bring gray head down to misery in the grave. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame for you with all my life. Now please let your servant remain here in the Lord's slave, as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And now the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come of my father. Do you guys get this moment here? Do you see this moment? Judah is relaying this story of the importance of Benjamin to Jacob. And he's willing to trade his life for his brother. He's willing to trade his life for the next favorite brother by removing joseph throughout this process okay you get that they removed joseph it didn't do anything for them none of them slid up into that place benjamin slid up into that place now jacob's guarding benjamin protecting him the brothers understand that they make a deal with dad they said no 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 no. he'll come back with us don't worry we've got this and this moment comes where they could truly choose we could go home without him. We could remove favorite son number two and maybe change the direction of the household, whatever. We could choose to do this. But he doesn't. What I find amazing here is, is who is it that does this? It's Judah. Judah. Whose house eventually, whose lineage eventually does Jesus come out of? Judah was willing to lay his life down, trade his life for his youngest brother, who he knows is the favorite, knows needs to be back. Effectively ending potentially his line right there 
but he's willing to do that. How much of an effect do you think that has on Joseph? At that moment, now, all of a sudden, he sees the brothers who threw him into a pit, who wanted to kill him, fighting to keep their younger brother alive. Fighting to preserve something that wouldn't drive their father to his grave. That is the moment that Joseph's had enough. That is the moment Joseph says, I've heard what I need to hear. I have seen what I need to see. Verse 45, Joseph reveals himself. Um, He can't contain himself anymore. He has seen the love of his brothers for his younger brother, the same love that he has for his younger brother. What I find amazing through the story is that he asks about dad and Benjamin. He asks about the two people that he's concerned with, the two people that he would truly like to know that are okay. And he sees this moment where Judah says, no. A moment that never happened for him, but just happened for his younger brother. He reveals himself to his brother. His brothers are, they can't believe it at first. What's really incredible about the next part in, verse, in chapter 45, um, he tells his brothers about his intentions. He tells them about how um, he forgives them, and, and he doesn't mean them any harm, and, and they're, they don't get it. They honestly think that, that there's still something coming. There's still punishment coming down the road. Um, and what I really like, in, and I highlighted it in my Bible, so we're going to go, I've got to jump in mine, to uh, chapter 45 in Genesis. And um, I want to read this, this section here. It's starting in verse 4. Um, it says this, and it said, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. Get this verse right here. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. In no point in time does Joseph look at his life and his story and where he's at and say, why me? How come? Why is this happening to me? At no point through this does he allow his circumstances to become greater than his God, greater than the plan that his God has. And when the time is right, he says probably one of the the strongest things he will ever say to his brother, and he repeats it again later on, but he says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This favored son just secured the covenant God made to Abraham. Joseph, because he saw that everything was not about him, was bigger than him, was all about God, was able to be used by God for God's plan in preserving his covenant to Abraham. Last week, Chris talked about that. He talked about the covenant, and he talked about the importance and the significance behind that. 
and to me, what was really cool is, is how Chris talked about that covenant, how the one-sided covenant, that regardless of what one party does, the other party will hold to that covenant. This is, this is a, a, a perfect example that regardless of how Jacob responded with his brother, regardless of how Jacob favored Joseph, regardless of how this family responded and behaved and, and acted, that this covenant was preserved by God and through his plan. That's the incredible part of this story. The 11th son of 12 was able to ensure another promise to be filled much further down the road. I love that part of the story. I just ugh, love it. It's one of my favorite parts. So brothers go home. They go back and they tell dad. <laughs> that had to have been a good conversation, right? <laughs> Guess what, dad? We were wrong. Apparently he only kind of ate him and then ran. No. Um, your son is alive. He wants us all to come live with him. He wants us to, to prosper and to be with him and to be around him. And the entire family, what I think is incredible, is, this, is the number. When you read how many people left where they were, went into, in, into Egypt, it was 70 people, 70 members of the family, the entire family, picks up and moves to Egypt. Joseph takes care of his family. Um, the story also tells us, it goes within there, it says that shepherds are not revered. They're actually looked down upon within society, within um, Egyptian culture, but the family's allowed to prosper and continue to do what they're supposed to do, um, live their livelihood, continue to do all of those things, and, and multiplied and grew and prospered and just flourished in Egypt because of their brother. Later in the story, it goes on and it talks, um, excuse me, when... Um, Jacob dies, and um, right before or right after he dies, the brothers have another moment where their insecurity creeps up. And um, I love this part too. Um, it's uh, we're going to jump ahead to Genesis chapter fifty, and it's the reminder that um, he tells his brothers. With me here. All right. So Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15 through 21. So um, Jacob's son, or Jacob has died. He is no longer there. Um, and the brothers start to panic. Starting in verse 15, it says this When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died, this is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servant of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, and here it is again, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Another moment in Joseph's life. Dad's gone. Nobody else is around. He has the position, the authority to destroy his family. But again, God's plan is bigger than Joseph and what he thinks he might achieve or do in this situation. So he reminds him, and I love this part where he says, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, and subsequently so much more down the road. So much more down the road. Because the family continues to flourish in Egypt. They continue to grow in numbers. They continue just to multiply and and be successful, so successful to the point that when the Pharaoh changes positions and you get a new ruler in, he actually does not like the fact that they are so many and so powerful and so well done that it changes. And that's when you get into the next part of the story um, where Chris will will go into on Tuesday night with the mind he's going to jump into Moses and then and the transition of the people from Egypt. But um, a couple of things that I wanted to, to kind of touch back on here as we go through these parts in, in Joseph's story and, and the key things here to remember that um, never in any of this was it about Joseph, was it about his suffering, was it about his position and where he was at. It was always about serving God and serving God to a degree that elevated not only him, but everyone around him. The ability to witness to people around him, to be the only person in the country who knew his God, who understood his God, and believed in his God, and just to be able to speak through that, um, I think that's incredible. The other part that's really cool, and it struck me as I was studying for this and and preparing this, was um, God's sovereignty and his plan. God used Joseph in a way that to put this story together and to truly understand how every element of the story works, that's God. That's God to take not a prominent son, but 11 of 12, remove him from everything he's known, restore him in a country not his own, reunite him with his family, giving him the peace and comfort that he needs to not react and lash out, but to continue and protect a covenant made to Abraham. To me, that just stands out. I love that part of it. So, that's Joseph in a nutshell. A couple of other things that we can pick up on. I don't know. Um, Chris talked about the whole parenting side of it and playing favorites. Well, I have my favorite in my house. I won't say who it is. I love them all. Never mind. Sorry, babe. Um, anyway, so there's lots of lessons within this story, but I think what we really can land on here is is the absolute importance of Joseph and his life and where we are today. So, questions, anything, comment? Yes, ma'am. Good question. When they decided to kill Joseph, Benjamin was not there. He was not amongst the brothers at the time. Yes, ma'am. Yes, 
Isn't it? I love that. Um, the comment was made, isn't it interesting how the significance and the foreshadowing of sacrifice made by a direct descendant of Christ himself? Judah, willing to sacrifice his own life to save his family, as Christ sacrificed his life to save all of us. I, I love that. That's, there's so many other things within that. I mean, I got volumes and volumes of other stuff with the... the Oh my goodness, yeah, we, there's so much more we can go into. Love it. But I, I only had an hour, and I kept saying to my wife, I don't think I can fill an hour, but apparently I did. Uh, any other questions? Anything else? Thank you very much, you guys. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will uh, close. Father, I thank you for um, who you are, God, and, and the fact that we can just see how incredible and everything about you in the simplest story of Joseph and, and the significance it had on who you are and, and where we are today. So, Father, I pray as we continue to, to take this journey and to look into your word and um, all that it is that you continue to open up our minds and our hearts and that, God, we just see you in, in every word on every page. Father, I love you and I thank you for who you are. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.